the center of the map. Smooth, pale skin marked heavily by freckles and moles. My mother calls them beauty marks. Well, I must be beautiful because you can play connect the dots for miles across the landscape of my body. A particular one, right next to my belly button, sits as a plot point on the map of my life. It stands out in bold font like a capital city, the dot that marks the spot where my journey begins. Welcome to Health Stories. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the stories of clinicians, patients, caregivers, and loved ones as they navigate through our complex U.S. healthcare system and provide tips and insights for the rest of us. I'm Dr. Nicole Deffenbaugh, communications specialist and scholar, and I'm delighted to be joined today with Courtney Fuller, who's a graduate student at Rollins College, uh, and her area is autoethnography and body image. So welcome to the podcast, Courtney. Thank you. Okay. So tell me what that was that you were sharing in the beginning. Okay, so I was sharing part of a poem that was inspired from one of the classes I took at Rollins with uh, Dr. Lisa Tillman. It was a class called Writing Self, Other, and Culture. So she asked us to write about a part of our body that we connected with most or that we could tell a story about. So um, I was inspired to write this poem and then create a visual piece um, that centered around my midsection because something, so many things had happened uh, in that area of my body. Um, and it was just a really good representation of um, things that had to do with uh, body image, such as thinness, um, rapid weight loss, things like postpartum body image, um, cancer, and even to the point where you can think of social media um, as and its effect on body image, so that as well. Wow. So you've had a lot, it sounds, a lot of experiences and a lot in the middle part of your body, it sounds like, right? So um, we're going to post this picture um, for those of you who are listening. Um, we're going to do a post um, so that you can actually see the image that Courtney has um, as she reads the poem. I'm, I'm kind of curious what the next part of your poem is. Would you mind reading a little bit more? Sure. It's more of a narrative poem. So mm -hmm. the next part of the poem states... Um, as a child, belly baby soft, ballet pink, belly cradled in warmth, my insides supple and open, my body pushing the boundaries as all children do. I heed my mother's advice to pull in my belly. I practice making the shapes of hills and valleys, concave and convex shapes in the mirror, shapes controlling how my insides tuck neatly into my rib cage or burst out into space. So the second part of the poem is talking more about um, childhood and the messages that we're told as a child to sort of suck your belly in and sit up tall and, you know, uh, just the initial messages you get about your body image and how, in my world, how that was represented. So just sort of setting the scene as a child of how your feelings and um, how you're socialized to feel about your body and the different events that um, happen around that particular area. So, And I'm sure with many of us, we you know, potentially resonate with that idea of trying to be thin or look thin or stick in your stomach. And I, I'm amazed at the, thinking back to my own childhood, how far we've come in many ways. 
um, and how I, you know, one commercial in particular, the Dove commercial, where they show different body sizes and shapes and diversified, you know, in terms of skin color. And I thought, wow, okay, we've got different bodies. Um, even, uh, what is it, America's Top Model, right? They had like a plus size models. Oh, okay, great. Now we're really, you know, starting to question and challenge this idea of thinness. But have we really come that far? Um, and, and do we really have a long ways to go? Um, tell me a little bit about um, a story or experience that really stands out for you, um, specifically regarding this sort of middle part of your body. Uh, I think there's a couple of them. One of them is, I can pinpoint, is um, how I felt about my body after I had children. Mm. So... You, I'm a, a group exercise instructor, and I, I guess I should have added that um, as part of my title. For the last 10 years, I've been um, trying to inspire others uh, with exercise and motivation and just sort of being there uh, for them through their fitness journey. So that's a big part of my life. Um, so once I had my second child, I really got into teaching fitness classes as a way to get back into shape. But it's really difficult... Um, as there's that, that there's part of you that, uh, just never goes back to the same shape as you were before children. And there's a little bit of a struggle with that, especially when, um, as an exercise instructor, you know, you want to be this epitome of fitness and it, you almost have to reorganize how you feel about yourself after children there's the great part of having these, uh, you know, new little ones in your life, but then there's the other part of losing a part of yourself and um, changing your identity a little bit. So, um, so when I had my second child in 2008, my son, I decided to stop breastfeeding probably four months after um, I had him in order to go back and take another fitness course or get another certification. So I had to bind my breasts and I ended up going to this particular uh, certification and is still feeling the pain of motherhood there and being about 50 pounds over my, my usual weight. And it was a pretty strenuous um, uh, certification to go through. Mm. Uh, and everybody was very supportive, but you could see that I obviously wasn't as in good of shape as I was before. And um, this particular certification requires you to take a video of yourself performing the class in front of a bunch of members and submitting it to make sure that you have the right form, that you're saying the right things, that you know all the choreography. And to look back at that video and see myself um, it's a contradictory feeling because there's a feeling of being very excited that um, I was able to do that so quickly after pregnancy. Um, but there's also that other side of me that's like, wow, I can't believe just how heavy I was and what I looked like right after having a child. And it, it sounds very shallow minded, but there's always going to be that part of you that you have to just be honest and say, you know, I wasn't necessarily at my best uh, in this moment, and uh, it's hard to look at sometimes. I mean, you're really, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, 
you know, how many of us admit that we struggle with these these challenges and the these ideologies that we're told about what we're supposed to look like? And you're really tapping into the, um, in many ways, unrealistic goals that we as a society put on mothers to obtain their, quote, previous um, shape, as you call it, you know, so previous weight and size and everything. And um, when you mention this topic, I'm laughing because I think of how absolutely absurd it is when we hear stories of some famous person who had children and, oh my gosh, look, she's back to her regular, right? What does that regular mean, right? So she's back to her pre-baby weight and her pre-baby size and not really recognizing the, the beauty and, the, the, uh, and what your body goes through having a child and how unrealistic is it is to think that your body is going to change and go back to the way it is in a short amount of time or even at all. And where, yeah. where does this come from? You know, so I don't I, know. And I think it's driven a lot by just, um, well, nowadays, social media. Back when I had my daughter in 2005, I felt like I had this inextricable bond with um, Britney Spears because she was pregnant at the same time I was. And I was watching as I watched this footage of Britney Spears like entering the Chinese theater with this big belly bump that says, I have the golden ticket. I was like, okay, yeah, we're in the same place. We had children about the same week apart. And I felt compelled to compare my experiences, right, and my wardrobe and my weight distribution with her. And I remember uh, writing about it in a journal entry, and I wrote, um, as if our bodies and our pocketbooks are equally matched, Hmm. as if she and I are racing against each other to shrink back to normal size, regardless of the methods involved. And then why am I, an average middle-class woman, relentlessly fixated on some unattainable airbrushed celebrity blonde simply because our children are born a month apart. Mm -hmm. So that whole idea of, you know, we compare ourselves to these celebrities that really they have everything at their disposal uh, Mm -hmm. to get back in shape and look a certain way. And how quickly we forget that, you know, we can't deploy this team of dietary experts or a trainer or a nanny or trips to the spa or a host of stylists and plastic Plastic surgeons. surgeons. Very different. Yeah. And, and that's, what's so wonderful about what you're writing about is to be able to say, you know, to, to really critique the idea of what normal is and, and our, our expectations, um, as a society for what we're supposed, supposed to look like. Um, and so tell me a little bit, um, so, so you, and I appreciate you mentioning that you were a fitness trainer cause that provides a whole nother insight into right. the fitness world of what, again, um, health looks like, um, what are some other, um, you said you had mentioned cancer. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how that experience fits into your um, sort of concept of, of body image? Um, well, because we were talking uh, um, in the beginning about the idea of using part of your body as an inspiration, um, the type of cancer I ended up having was an append- where it started in um, my appendix and it was something that was found by surprise. Um, I was having another surgery done um, to have children, and I realized that uh, the surgery was stopped when I woke up um, 
the nurse in the room said, oh, by the way, we took your appendix out. And I was like, okay, well, that's strange. Um, so I was having my tubes reconnected to have children uh, once again. I had made that decision. Um, and it was just a surprise to go back to my reproductive doctor and for him to say, you have to hold off your plans uh, because uh, the pathology results came back and you actually have cancer. Um, and we're not quite sure if it's spread into your colon. Uh, so you're going to have to go talk to a specialist and see what your options are. And of course, that was a complete surprise because, again, you know, I, I exercise, I eat right. I had absolutely no signs in my body that there was anything wrong. And this particular type of cancer um, is the kind that can go unrecognized and unnoticed until it's too late. In fact, Audrey Hepburn died um, of this particular type of cancer, and she had absolutely no idea. So why I um, <clears throat> chose to talk about it as far as the roadmap of my body is that uh, when they did go back in to remove a foot of my um, ascending colon, mm. uh, they couldn't just go in with uh, laparoscopically and remove it. There's ha that's a very large uh, part of your intestine. So there's a scar, which you can see in the um, photo that you uh, will post that now is this another, another mark on my body, which I, you know, I'm using sort of as the, as the main um, area of focus. So what did having that much um, of your colon taken out uh, do on your body? Did it have any impact um, from the surgery or, or from the removal of your colon? Well, luckily I was in pretty good shape when, when the surgery was performed. So it set me back definitely. There were months that it took to regain strength and regain um, just the feeling that my my body was my own again. It's interesting when you take out a section of, of an organ, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that can speak to this, and it's not until talking with you that I actually remember that it feels like something's missing, and everything sort of feels, I'm not a, a medical professional, but it feels like your body almost has to adjust to that space that's missing, and my doctor mentioned you know, your abdominal muscles are never going to have the strength that they had before because of all of the, the area that we needed to remove. Mm -hmm. um, so always be mindful that there's a possibility that um, your abdomen's going to be compromised and um, you're not going to have the strength in that area that you used to have. Yeah. Wow. So thinking about... So again, looking at this picture that people are, are looking at and all of the things that have happened to this part of your body where you've had parts of your colon removed, your abdomen has changed, it's expanded for children, right. it's contracted, you've um, been very into fitness and exercise, so you probably have, you know, your muscles are, are different. And wow, like the story that your abdomen in the middle of your body is telling 
I, it, it, it's just mind-boggling all the things that have happened to that part of your body. So I can see why you, you chose to write a poem about it and also sort of devote your, your research to this too. Yeah, it was a really inspirational, just a comment at the end of class one day. It was like, is there any part of your body that you really identify with? And I really, I had to think about it for a while, but it comes down to that. It comes down to, um, you know, this identification of this particular area. And then it ended up motivating me to really think about, you know, what are the messages that we receive from society and culture and how do we embrace our own unique understanding and body composition instead of letting others be our template? Mm -hmm. I have lots of um, friends and co-workers that um, have maybe Instagram accounts or look at other people's social media and say, you're my body goal or you're, you know, this person has the perfect abs. And, um, you know, my message, what I'm really motivated to do is to inspire others to Really think about your body's story rather than trying to take yourself and copy copy and paste yourself on top of somebody else. Um, because we are, we're all so different. And um, the fact that our each body tells its own story and that the language is expressed through not only the genetics we're given, but also how each person chooses to utilize our bodies. So what we tr decide to do with it. So of course you're um, blessed with a certain genetic code, but what you decide to do with it is so important. And I think a lot of times we think about ourselves as just this, um, this shell that holds our, maybe your soul and, uh, but you don't really think about, um, how that body is, uh, it's, helping you and you know it's just like this really weird disconnect I feel people have sometimes where they don't think about oh what am I putting in to help my body's engine what am I doing as far as exercise and then beyond that um, within the last five or six years I got into meditation and yoga which is a, a whole different topic but it also has to do with the mind-body connection and how important that is in our lives um, to have that. So, you know, that's another part of it. Well, I, pr I appreciate you talking about this because this, this is what I wanted to transition into, um, our two, two parts. Um, one is talking about sort of reflecting back on the, the detrimental things that you have seen and heard that really impacted you over the decades to then um, <clears throat> sort of transition into this part that you're into, which is what have you learned and what advice can you offer to others? Um, and so when I'm, I want to go back a little bit to the, the other part, <clears throat> thinking about people who might be listening who themselves um, are going through a difficult time, but also providing more awareness to the rest of us and how the things that we say can really have an impact on people and the things that we're watching can really impact. So are there sort of moments in time um, that really stand out for you where people said things or did things or you saw things that really impacted sort of um, the way in which you, you viewed your body potentially in a negative way? Um, I think it's, 
it's a struggle. It's always a struggle, especially uh, for people in this particular era of being able to take selfies and change your image a little bit or put on a filter. Um, and the difference between reality and uh, the filtered world, what people see when they see you in person as opposed to what they see um, as your curated image on social media. So there's that. Um, there's also... And, and I, I just, I don't mean to interrupt it, but you made me think of Jean Kilborn. So Jean Kilborn um, has Killing Us Softly, um, has a you know, number of books out, um, amongst many other feminist scholars who really critique the media. And um, her message is about how the media really is sort of, um, I shouldn't say sort of, is detrimental to women's image. And um, they're not realistic. So we airbrush pictures and what you're talking about is so and this is from decades ago where she's talking about now we've got you can basically airbrush your own picture you well, know yeah. because you have filters and ways that you can change it so we used to look at other people's images that were filtered and airbrushed but now we can do it ourselves so I just I just wanted to add Jean Kilborn as one of many people to look up right uh, and, and in that same way we have the ability to airbrush ourselves but um, I ran across some research by um, Festinger, and um, she talks about in 1954, um, self-evaluation can only be accomplished by means of comparison with other persons. So the drive for self-evaluation is a force acting on persons to belong to groups, to associate with others. So the, there's the ability for us to airbrush ourselves but then what we don't realize is that everybody's comparing themselves mm -hmm. to your airbrushed, not reality, but to your airbrushed, uh, you know, curated image. And so there's this weird um, dichotomy between who you are as a genuine um, entity and, and who this curated person is, this specific image that you may have taken uh, the picture 15 times to get just the right angle. We didn't have that before. You know, that's definitely different. Um, as far as positive or negative stories related to, to um, fitness or body image, um, I think the most difficult thing I've run into is when people say, um, man, you know, you look amazing or you look really good right now and I remember there was a time in my life where I was probably 20 pounds thinner oh, wow. but there was this uh it was all due to stress mm -hmm. and a bad relationship and so I may have been 20 pounds thinner and everybody's feeding you these wonderful compliments of like how great you look and oh it's just amazing your legs look great your whole body looks amazing, and you're thinking, you know, internally, this is my worst hour, and I'm going home, and I'm I'm so sick and uh, mentally just not feeling myself um, that I can't even eat. You know, I've lost my appetite. Um, I'm on my body's under so much stress, and yet you have these external messages coming into you like you look more fantastic than ever. And I remember being in a relationship where he was saying, I can't believe, you know, we're our relationships on the rocks, but you look phenomenal. You look better than you ever have. And it's that dichotomy between the two is just such a difficult 
place to be. Yeah. And what I'm really hearing you say is the importance that um, of really challenging your assumptions about what you're seeing from someone else and hesitating to say you look good when someone loses weight. Um, I remember because I have a chronic illness of the intestines and when you know, I've heard, and this was brought up too, Jen, um, Jen Dunn and uh, the podcast on weight bias for our listeners who have heard that a few months ago. Um, she talks about how she went in to see her physician and the physician was like, wow, you've lost, you know, a lot of weight. We don't assume, you know, it's because of sickness or stress or insomnia or illness of, of some sort that not everybody chooses to lose weight. Sometimes our body, because of the stress it's going through, loses weight. Um, but we assume that somebody has tried to do that, not knowing their whole story. So um, I'm hearing you say sort of um, think before you say to someone, wow, you look great because they've lost weight. And Absolutely. I, and, yeah. It's important to be mindful of the situation that the person's in. I have friends who I know their personal situation, and I would never comment on their weight, understanding that they're in a stressful period in their life or they're going through a medical issue or they've just lost someone that's really close to them and this is how their body is interpreting that. But it's hard because there are people on the outside of your life that don't necessarily know your true story. So it's important to be mindful about that for sure. Yeah, and I could hear, um, so as a communication scholar, I think it's important. Um, I've heard people say, well, I know this person well, and there's something different, and I can see that their body is changing. I think the importance is, though, you don't have to comment on their body, but rather just comment and ask them how they are. And that way they get to choose whether they disclose what's happening. So I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. I'm just curious how you're doing. And they get to choose to say, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out, I'm really sick, or not to say anything because maybe they're not ready to talk about it yet. Um, and so that's really important. Um, so, so two things I heard um, in addition to that, the other thing was the idea of being aware of the um, images that we see and how realistic they are. Um, anything else that stands out for you that you can think of? On that particular subject, just also being mindful of how much getting quote-unquote likes on your page or seeing how many people are viewing your images is affecting your sense of self. I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit about curating your own images, but I think it's also important that um, social media allows people to feed a certain level of oxytocin to their brain by the amount of likes that they get on their page or that how many people comment or who's not commenting or who's not viewing. There's so many different ways to get feedback these days that you think it's positive and that it's feeding you all of this good energy, but it can also drive people to become infatuated with their image or um, with really, I have, uh, people that I know that are extremely into exercise now because they do get so much positive feedback on everything that they post. So it's um, it's important to just have some equanimity about it. Be able to step back and look uh, from a different perspective, maybe step away from uh, social media a little bit more to realize that it's not the ultimate uh, litmus tests to your worth and that the most important stories we tell ourselves are about ourselves. 
So most often these stories are being influenced and shaded by others, but just know what feels genuine to you, what feels healthy to you. I feel much healthier 15 pounds heavier than I did when I was in a stressful situation and 15 pounds lighter. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of psychology. I'm thinking of psychological um, theories and concepts about self-esteem and self-image in here as well and really challenging what that is and how it's socially constructed. Um, so you're getting into the, the last part that I want to talk about is this, you know, how can we really challenge um, our, our construction of our um, body image and also the ways in which we think about ourselves. And one thing you said, Courtney, that really strikes me is when you were talking about the body sort of in, um, you know, holding your spirit, sort of the shell, um, and thinking about um, our bodies as uh, our awareness of our own bodies, and I wonder how much we are unaware of our bodies full of life and our energy. And when you mentioned yoga meditation, I, I thought that might be sort of a way um, that you're bringing awareness of your body. So I, I, yeah, I've seen lots of head nods. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is one of the most important messages that I think I can impart to uh, your listeners is that even if you don't do yoga, even if you don't meditate, if you can find a way to work some mindfulness into your life so that you do have more body awareness. And mindfulness is simply just paying attention to your senses. So a lot of times we're thinking about what's happening in the future, what tasks do we have to have done today, really focusing on what there is to get from the grocery store, you know, who we need to call today, to take a moment out of your day and just think about, you know, what parts of my body are in contact with the chair and the floor? What kind of sounds am I hearing around me? Things that are going to bring you to this present moment. And what happens in the present moment is typically not horrific or terrible. But if we spend too much time focusing in the future, focusing on the things that we have to do, uh, we, it brings us anxiety. And if we spend too much time thinking about, oh, I should have done that yesterday, or I should have, thinking about the things in the past, it can make you more depressed. Um, but it's also bringing that awareness back from you thinking about your body as just a shell to help you move around in the world. And more of, you know, this is an integral part of who I am, and this is how I'm going to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I, when you said mindfulness, um, it made me think of this. Um, there's so much information online for our listeners if they're interested. Um, but there's mindfulness meditations and one that talks about savoring your meals, stopping to observe, breathe just to breathe. Um, and I've heard a lot, especially from a clinical side, about using mindfulness for um, uh, for eating. I think that's really interesting is being mindful of um, breathing and eating and sort of like your everyday movements and activities and just the things that we do every day that we sort of take for granted that we're doing. Um, I, I teach yoga class and um, I often remind them to take simple tasks like when you drive the car, you kind of do that on autopilot, not literally on autopilot, but you don't think about all the pieces that it takes to drive the car, even to the point where, you know, you think mindfully, I'm putting the key into, or I'm unlocking the car, I'm putting the key 
in, you know, I'm putting my hands on the steering wheel. How does the air conditioner or the heat feel on me? Mm-hmm. All those little things or brushing your teeth is an often used uh, activity that we use for uh, mindfulness training, mm-hmm. thinking about how the sensation of the toothpaste feels or how the bristles of the brush feel against your teeth and or taking a shower, all these mundane tasks that we do every day without really thinking about what's happening in the moment. I mean, when, you, when you're in the shower, you're thinking about, you know, what am I going to wear or what is it that I'm doing today? It's very little about how does the water feel on my body or um, what is the temperature in here? What's the sounds? What are the sounds that I'm hearing? So the last question I really want to ask, um, uh, before you tell us some resources that you have, looking back at everything that you've been through and everything you've learned and where you are today, what's the one piece of advice, the thing that really sticks with you the most, um, that has been the most crucial for you in terms of your uh, body acceptance? Um, It's just looking at your body, look at your body in a way that you're able to accept maybe the stories that it encompasses. And um, again, it's, it's about creating a story or a narrative about yourself that's going to be helpful and not trying to live somebody else's narrative. I think it's important for people to appreciate and care for their bodies with meaning and purpose rather than just thinking about them as this way of getting about the world. So other resources or links, you mentioned Lisa Tillman Healy, um, or Lisa Tillman um, are both the names. She talks about autoethnography, uh, thinness and bulimia, I believe is um, her writings. Other people that have inspired you or links or websites that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, there's a book called The Body Project. Uh, it's a history of American girls. So it goes into a lot of body image related topics, um, things about puberty, things about um, body projects like piercings and tattoos and whatnot. Um, That book is by Joan Jacobs Brumberg and it's an amazing resource just to give you some more information about, um, you know, it's called An Intimate History of American Girls. So it's really interesting to see where we've come from and, uh, you know, where we're headed. There's another book that has to do more about um, the healing of trauma. It's called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And um, that's by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, That one's a really good uh, resource um, if you've gone through any traumatic events. And most people have something that they can pinpoint that they, um, you know, would like to to do some more study um, in that area. From a mindfulness standpoint, I love this app called Headspace. Oh, yeah, I've used that too. <laughs> yeah. So it allows you to, in very small amounts of times, amount of time, walk you through um, what it is to have a mindfulness practice. It has the best little animations to explain what mindfulness is and what it isn't. So um, headspace.com is uh, a huge resource that I use um, as well. Well, thank you, Courtney, so much for being on our podcast today. Oh, you're welcome.
You're welcome. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Excellent. And for our listeners, as a reminder, you can like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Stories Health. And finally, there is a blog, NicoleDeffenbaugh.com slash blog. If you'd like to be on our show or leave comments, you can do so on Facebook or on the blog. Mm-hmm.